Antisocial personality can have narcissism, right? There can be, but you also can be antisocial and not be narcissistic. In other words, not be so driven and aware of needing reassurances from others. And in fact, oftentimes somebody who's purely antisocial really doesn't have that need. Somebody who's narcissistic may not disregard laws at all, but an antisocial personality is somebody, in fact, to get diagnosed as that, you've started having conduct disordered and breaking laws prior to the age of 15, even if you didn't get arrested. And it often involves some form of sadistic cruelty where hurting animals, et cetera, but they often do it, they hurt animals because it fascinates them and it, it feels powerful. It isn't so much so the pleasure of being the power over where once you start getting more into psychopathy and malignant narcissism, there's actually the pleasure of causing pain and harm. It's not just the power of it. There's a difference between having the power over to cause pain and one to have pleasure. I get to cause you pain and feel pleasure from it. So that's where we talk about malignant narcissism has the antisocial personality as part of it. This is Holding Your Own, a series from Therapist Uncensored that aims to deepen and broaden security when faced with challenging personalities. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hi, all. This is Ann. And today we're going to jump into the fifth of our six-part series of Holding Your Own with Difficult and Challenging Personality Traits. And we've already covered a couple of different types of narcissism. In some of the previous episodes, you may know that we covered grandiosity, we covered covert or depressed or vulnerable narcissism. We've covered what people mean by when they use the term borderline and borderline traits. And we've kind of worked our way up to malignant narcissism. So Anne, what's the difference between malignant narcissism and the other kinds of narcissism? Like, first of all, is it really one thing, narcissism, and three kinds? Or are we really talking about three different things? Actually, yes. Narcissism is the same thing. There's a core element of narcissism that's the same thing that you see throughout. And that is a sense of entitlement, a sense of exploitation, and a sense of self-focus that loses touch at times with the ability to see other people and other people's needs. And the different types of narcissism manifest in different ways. So as you mentioned, we talked about the covert and we talked about the more grandiose. So malignant narcissism is kind of a different beast. Yeah, it really is. It's, and we also mentioned antisocial personality disorder. So we are going to differentiate between malignant narcissism, antisocial personality, and split those up from this other concept called psychopathy. Right. It's an important difference because one that is more grandiose or even covert narcissist, they are very stuck in themselves and it can be super painful to be involved with that dynamic. But generally there is still a value of others, whether it's, I need the, I need to be filled up. I need to be filled up. Exactly. And there's still a sense of right and wrong. In fact, that is what could be really painful about being involved with somebody more grandiose narcissist. They have a sense of right and wrong. In fact, they can be overly religious. They could be like some of our top leaders can be grandiose or a covert narcissist. It has a sense of right and wrong and that they've been done wrong. But there is a sense of right and wrong, which gets lost in a malignant narcissist because there is a combination of antisocial traits, paranoia, and some acting out of 
part of wanting to create harm to others. Yeah, it's it's kind of hallmarked by vindictiveness, right? Malice, cruelty. Those are the kinds of words that are associated with this. And this it really is a different animal. So as we've been talking about how to take care of yourself, what we're hoping today is that by really spelling it out and helping you be clear about these things, that if you are involved with somebody that struggles with this or that is doing this to you in this case, we want you to be able to identify it, not get drawn in anymore, possibly leave or prevent you from getting in a relationship with somebody like this. Yeah, and it's not always as easy as it sounds, because when we talk about somebody being that malicious, I think one of the things that can come right. to... how in the world would you ever fall in love with a jerk? Right, <laughs> like that's true. Like it's, if they're that overtly malicious, you know, it feels like we would all be able to identify them. And yet, just like the elements of narcissism we already described, there's a lot of charming elements to them, engaging elements. And unfortunately, some of the more malignant narcissists, because they actually don't care as much about the experience of others and they get caught in their own sense of need so deeply, they can be very high achieving. You can see- Oh yeah, very successful. Very successful. And they can be actually high leaders because they're focused on power and control rather than connection. We elect them. We push them up because their confidence and their take charge attitude, there's a sense of, man, if I could get behind you, then I'm going to be okay. Right. What can make someone more vulnerable to that is, you know, if you have a hard time, if you're sort of a rule follower, you have a hard time holding yourself and you come next to somebody that has such like, you don't have to listen to everybody. Like, that's ridiculous. I've got you. Like, it can be enticing if you tend to walk in the world really worried about what other people think and how other people feel and you feel controlled by that and inhibited by that because it can be. So like, for example, if you have a what we call the low four and the high four, which is the yeah. uh, measure on the MMPI of antisocial traits, if you're too low, it means that you can be a doormat and you can be walked on and you can be manipulated. If you're high in that, then that's where rules don't apply to you. One of the things that's really seductive about this is, as Anne was saying, you know, it's very easy actually to imagine getting drawn in, but especially if they set their sights on you and they begin to really pour in the attention and really focus on you, it can feel like you're swept off your feet. But that attention and that like single attention is a foreshadowing of what turns into control. Right. So if you listen to somebody maybe that is giving you that singular attention, you listen to their history, you might notice that they have a lot of really disparaging things to say about their exes. And frequently they will have many exes because their ability to stay in a relationship is not very successful. But all of a sudden you could easily be the one because you get me, you see me, and that can feel super rewarding in the beginning. Right, but it's not relational. When you right. say that they have difficulty staying in relationship, they're not interested in staying in a relationship. They're interested in fueling themselves and power over they're interested in themselves, really. Right, and, and gratifying and their own needs. Gra- right, using you to get the goods that you bring them, but they will drop you with a hat and not think about it, you know, if they are motivated to do that. I love what you're saying. I mean, how you're highlighting that. And if we could draw a difference between somebody who struggles with regular grandiosity and narcissism, 
they could struggle with relationships for sure, right? But they generally feel victimized by relationships because people keep misunderstanding them. And they want to be understood. There is a relational aspect. Yeah, they want to be understood. They want to do right. They want to be an ideal partner and they can get super frustrated that they can't seem to get you to match them. A malignant narcissist, you will really feel discarded much more easily and not valued because there isn't that hold towards a relationality. You can really feel pretty quickly that it's really a means to the end and you quickly start feeling it. And when I say quickly with a malignant narcissism, you often will, but I think it is important to continue a little bit to talk about the enticing part of it because we were mentioning we elect them. We support them. We we worship under them. That's an, you know that's it's frequent actually. It's somebody who can gather a flock and seems to be a strong leader and really exploits people's vulnerability in that. Right, and one of the ways they start exploiting is by you know we mentioned earlier the sense of mistrust and suspiciousness. Well, they carry with that. And so what gets really quickly, they usually have a lot of power and a lot of suspicion. So if you can get under their wings, you have a lot of power, but you have to stay in line because the suspicion, and if the suspicion gets turned towards you, you're easily ousted. But how they can maintain support a lot of times is by increasing suspicion in other people. And they increase suspicions between people. And by doing that, you create a fear-based approach. So I think if I was going to pick one dominating factor that you can identify when a malignant narcissist is either in your life, running your country, or running your business, it's that people divide out of fear and their mistrust is so intense. You're with me or you're against me. Right. And if you're not with me, this is, I think, the most powerful part where you're not going to see in just a grandiose narcissist If you're not with me, then now, because I'm overly sensitive to that, I have the ability to have revenge and I feel justified. So I get that antisocial part where if you've messed me over, I am now entitled to mess you back. Oh, vindictiveness. Very vindictive. Yes. So you will get fired. And not only will you get fired, it is highly likely that your business connections are going to be in question. So of course, we're talking about it on a continuum, right? There are some people who struggle with this. You, you have a hard time sticking with the hard line. Yeah, of- well, that's true. Because <laughs> well, you have, you know, more of a malignant narcissist as psychopathy where you've got this really vindictive end, right? But I think, you know why it is, Sue? I think it's because I think it can appear more subtle. And I think as we say it really extreme, it's really easy to miss those that are vindictive, but you can't really feel it, right? Right. You can, you can see it, but you can't really name it. I think it can be a lot more obscure than we think. Right. I think so too. And I want to have a really bright line between this and the other kinds of narcissism. You know, somebody who's grandiose likely has not had very many people approach them about this. You know what I mean? They get people under them or they idealize people. So I agree with you about that there can be more hope if you struggle with grandiosity. And we can use terms like if you struggle with grandiosity, if it creates havoc in your life and your relationships, then there's some hope of change in that, especially if they know it and want to work on it. Right. They have shame, but they also have guilt. Like a grandiose narcissist Austin feels in the right, like they're right, you're wrong. But when they really see that they're in the wrong, they feel guilt. They don't actually intend to hurt people. They just don't always see the hurt that they're creating because they think they kind of move on where a malignant narcissist actually 
intentionally creates harm. The vindictiveness cannot be, and this is where I, where it gets scary, and we want you guys to be able to see this coming or discover that you're in it so that you can begin to take better care of yourself. But for example, with a divorce, you see things like, it's really scary, it's very expensive, Sometimes they will like do things like go after custody, not because they're that interested in the kids, but to hurt you or really want to not divide things properly, but get you financially. That's a really great point. It's like this subtle thing is I will get if you hurt me, I am not entitled to hurt you back and will enjoy it and will enjoy it. And actually what's so interesting is they might even you might notice that they will brag about it, right? Like if somebody messed them over, you'll hear think they deserved it serves them right. Those are subtle ways but when you start seeing somebody that actually relies on that, and sometimes, you know, when we're pissed, we think serves them right, right? Like that, I think we can all have that image, right? But in the long run, we're not really hoping for harm and hurt to people beyond the moment of aggravation and anger. We get all away from that. We do maybe in the moment, but we get away from that and we have remorse, we have reflection. <laughs> no, I'm smiling because I think that's part of why it was hard for you to like keep the strong line of like, these people cannot change, <laughs> you know, which is not exactly what we're saying, but I, <laughs> you know, because it's easy to fall into that for sure. Well, especially like we were mentioning earlier, to get back to those that may have found themselves involved in that, is that the mistreatment, the mistrust, when that starts falling on you, you typically get anxious and work really hard to go, no, trust me. And that may mean that you give up yourself more and more and more in trying to be able to gain favor from somebody. And there's a fear involvement that starts happening pretty quick. Yeah, your world can get smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, let's just do a real quick view from a child's eyes looking up. If you were raised by somebody with malignant narcissism, one of the hallmarks is this thing of loyalty and obedience. Huge. So again, that if you're not with me, you're against me. So kids will have a lot of trouble individuating, having relationships outside of the home. There's active attempts to stomp out anything that is not surrounding them or what they want. It's crazy making, it's scary. And if we can name it, it's not you. Let's talk about gaslighting next. It's not you. It's what happened to you. And if your reality has been questioned, you know, there's a saying that the erasure of abuse is worse than the abuse. And that's big. So gaslighting, that takes us right into like intentionally manipulating somebody's reality. Right. It maintains control. Gaslighting comes from an old, I think I labeled it as a Hitchcock movie and it isn't a Hitchcock movie. Now I forgot the movie. It isn't Hitchcock. Somebody's going to write in and tell me what movie it is. But from a movie where the light keeps dimming and coming on and it's the, I believe a husband doing it and the wife is like, do you see this? And she's, he's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? where it's intentionally making her question reality. So the gaslighting that we actually experience in relationship often is not that obvious, but it could be, for one, somebody that is pretty narcissistic in a malignant way often will utilize affairs and things like that and not feel guilty about it, really, because there's a way that they can justify that they deserve it and they don't get what they want. But when you start to sense something's off, they question your reality. Like, you're ridiculous. You're paranoid. And because of their paranoia, they also, they're likely to accuse you. It's a projection of you cheating or you doing these things. That's a good, it gets us back to the loyalty thing. So um, that you're on your heels of defense, which keeps you from watching what's happening out there and what feels off. Right. So for example, if I were to come to you and begin to question you about something, 
a lot of times the response can be, you know, how dare you question me? What kind of a partner, wife, husband, whoever? After all I do for you. After, yeah. How dare you? Like it flips around so much that then you feel like somehow you're perpetrating by wondering about something in reality. And let's begin to speak about like how to hold on to yourself. Well, that's a great turning point in that because one of the things you might do is try to turn to your friends for support and say, he yeah, collect she, people. Collect right. He or she is saying this. This is crazy. Da da da. And if you are to bring support back to somebody who's really, really severe in the malignant narcissism, they're going to start making you doubt your friends. They're going to say, she's out to get you. She is jealous of your relationship because you get to go do A, B, and C. Or she's just against our relationship. She's trying to poison you against our relationship. So there's this constant sense that you can't trust anybody. And that's, I think, reason I'm speaking about this. Like right now in our country, we have a lot of mistrust of everybody. And we have to look at that. Why is it now, all of a sudden, no matter which side you're on, the other side's crazy? The division is not accidental. That division is not accidental. It, it's so true. And the other side now is not just having different opinions from us, right? The other side actually wants to sabotage our country. I don't care. And we're talking about the United States. I apologize to be United States central. But in the United States right now, and many countries are, are sharing this kind of dynamic. And that is, if you are on one side, you're actually threatening to the other side. If there's not differences in differentiation. You're actually could annihilate the other side. The level of mistrust about differences is so high that that is really creating an erosion and that can happen inside you in a relationship. It's a really good example of your internal working can be feeling that much doubt about the people around you or yourself. Absolutely. Like we see this in families. There's big, huge cutoffs, even within a couple that weren't there before around like, if you would vote for him, then that tells me what the kind of person you are. Or if you wouldn't vote for him, then you... Then how are we even together? You want socialism. I didn't actually know you. And just for clarification, to be super clear, this isn't a uh, Democrat-Republican issue at all, what you and I are talking about. I interviewed Liz Plank and she talked about it's not a gender war. It is conflict between people who want to maintain the structure of power over and maintain it and keep it and push people down so that they get power versus people who want to dismantle that and have more of a related relational world. And that's more what we're referencing. So there can be there can be Republicans. It doesn't cut by party lines. We're talking about a personality issue, not party lines. That's a well stated. And we're talking about on many sides of different aisles. There's not just two in our country. There's not just two across the world. We have lots of different perspectives. We're not cutting that one perspective is right. What we're saying is, is when the other perspective is so threatening to your identity that it charges us up into self-righteous rage, the desire to annihilate, to disconnect and to bully, right? So that's where I think we feel pretty troubled right now is that there's a lot of support of bullying type of behavior. And so bringing it back to relationships, In relationships, bullying of any sort needs to be seen and called and truncated. So for longtime listeners of the show, I bet you're keying into this notion of what's going on in the body and threat response. And you are totally right. What's happening is because we're scared, it's bringing out the very worst in us. We're actually recording this just after the election, before it's been decided. So we're right in the midst of turmoil 
like nobody's business. Like everybody in the country, doesn't matter who you voted for, you feel turmoil right now because the outcome, either side feels like we're about to lose our democracy, right? So that's is, right. That's is, right. That's, a, that's what the fight is. Isn't that interesting that both sides are saying we're going to lose our democracy and we've never actually felt, we've, we've disagreed, we've been angry, but we've never thought this is what's going to break us, we're going to lose our democracy. So it's interesting to realize that right now that we're in that level of threat. So if we go down in our bodies and we go, why is there that threat? How are we going to get through that? The biggest part is we have to look at ourselves to not be only living in the world of threat and fear. Yeah, we've got to get our sympathetic systems cooled off just a little bit and whatever ways that you do that with breath and with your mindfulness practices and with social engagement or with self-calming techniques, if social engagement isn't what does it for you, so that we can get our minds back on and we can begin to see more complexity and begin to see human beings on each other. And one of the ways of doing that is speaking personally instead of fighting the man up there that's generic. Whichever the man it is. Right. That if I begin to tell you personally why that I'm so upset and what I'm afraid of, that we're going to have a better chance. Or if you begin to explain to me, well, what your reasoning is and what you're afraid of, now all of a sudden there's two people again talking and maybe having differences But the war, you know, we're able to put down our weapons a little bit. That all has to do with our body and our stress response system and the polyvagal and all of those things. And if we take it down into your personal relationship as you're listening to this, if you start feeling like some of these dynamics that we're speaking about, that you feel really caught in a relationship, any kind of relationship, whether it's a work relationship, a friendship relationship, a romantic relationship, or a parental relationship that you can recognize these dynamics. Let's talk about specifically how to hold your own in that. Because what we're talking about is getting our nervous system calmed down. But one of the things I think I would suggest is you've got to get your own oxygen mask on. You can't turn to that person to recognize it, see it, or want to change it. That isn't the goal. The goal is to first get your own support. It makes me think of self-referencing. You know, when a kid falls down, they'll look to see their parent to see if they're hurt. (laughs) And sometimes in relationships, we do something similar to that. So I think what you're saying is you can't look to the person who has malignant narcissism to help evaluate how you're doing or how the relationship is. You really do need to gather folks from the outside. But before we go too far into that, and I think this could be helpful to some people, separate out antisocial and then separate out psychopathy. So let's do that real quickly. Okay, well, with antisocial personality disorder, Antisocial personality can have narcissism, right? There can be, but you also can be antisocial and not be narcissistic. In other words, not be so driven and aware of needing reassurances from others. And in fact, oftentimes somebody who's purely antisocial really doesn't have that need. Somebody who's narcissistic may not disregard laws at all, but an antisocial personality is somebody, in fact, to get diagnosed as that, you've started having conduct disordered and breaking laws prior to the age of 15, even if you didn't get arrested. And it often involves some form of sadistic cruelty where hurting animals, et cetera, but they often do it, they hurt animals because it fascinates them and it, it feels powerful. It isn't so much so the pleasure of being the power over where once you start getting more into psychopathy and malignant narcissism, there's actually the pleasure of causing pain and harm. It's not just the power of it. There's a difference between having the power over to cause pain and wanting to have pleasure. I get to cause you pain and feel pleasure from it. 
So that's where we talk about malignant narcissism has the antisocial personality as part of it. I also want to give an, a pot, this is going to be strange, but a positive example of antisocial. Earlier, we talked about that psychological test with the high four. On one hand, it could be the people that break laws and the conduct disorder and the substance abuse and the, you know, pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. On the other hand, there was a research study that showed that there's this group of women that basically crossed this frozen terrain that everyone told them that was not possible. They basically disregarded rules. They disregarded what people thought about them or what they said. They bucked the system. And again, you can still feel the pleasure inside of them of like conquering this track. Not being held down by social beliefs in what they could accomplish. Exactly. So yeah, I think what you're talking about is like having some antisocial traits of being able to push and not be contained and just be out there and not be that that can have a really positive dynamic. Yeah. And I don't know positive because this can still be very problematic, but it's less pathologizing. It's, yes. it's, it's, it's as a matter of fact, it probably is part of how it developed is that you need a rule breaker in a community to push and to explore like these are explorers. Mm hmm. And where it can tip over too much, where it becomes a disorder, is when it becomes self-serving. And it isn't. Yes, that's where right. it is, And you're hurting people. Hurting people, it's exploitive, and it's self-serving. And then let's do psychopathy, which is different than malignant narcissism and antisocial personality disorder. It's different, but connected. Yeah, psychopathy... You know, and actually you can have psychopathy and be malignant, part of malignant narcissism. So that that's a... Commonly, yes. Yeah, right. But you can just struggle with psychopathy. I guess struggle is a minimizing way to put it. But psychopathy without narcissism isn't really sensitive to what anybody thinks. They actually can not actually care at all. Yeah. They're, they're not driven by that. Right. They're not hot. They're cold. Yes. And so like, let's contrast this with somebody with some borderline traits, and I still hate that word, but reactive traits, they're hot, but they're hot in the moment because they're hurt about relationships. Because they care about relationships. Right. And, and they, they feel they abandoned them. and they want them. And so they will fly, but then give them a few hours and you're back. Like things have changed with somebody with psychopathy. One, there's not that fire. As a matter right. of fact, when there's distress, and where somebody would normally be stirred up, somebody with psychopathy is going to have that cold, calculating, mm. slow, much more dangerous. These are the ones that are not so much going to change. They're not impulsive. They're very That's planning. Right. That's right. They're planning their next thing. And so that... that In a cruel, sadistic yes. way. This is where we can get into sexual predators, Et cetera, uh, serial yeah. killers with mm. high psychopathy. One distinction that I heard at one point is like, if you look at people in jail, you'll see a lot of antisocial, but only a few that Very are actually few. high in psychopathy. There's a ton of people not in jail that are high in psychopathy. Right, because they can be so calculating and sneaky because they know how to cover their way. Whereas somebody with malignant narcissism can actually have psychopathy embedded in that actually can be that kind of cold and calculating. But what makes them actually particularly dangerous is that they can be really hot and then really retaliatory and vindictive. And so if they feel wronged, then they feel they can do preemptive things to create harm to you. So there is a higher dynamic of ready to be reactive. In reality, these distinctions probably aren't actually all that important 
for you in your body wherever you are. So don't worry so much about grabbing these distinctions. If you are in a relationship with any of this, with malignant narcissism, if it's if you want to think of it as antisocial, if there's psychopathy in it, that's what we're addressing. Not so much pulling them apart, but I do like pulling them apart because I think they're easier to recognize. And important to recognize the difference because there is different motivation and strategy. And again, you know, when we're talking about psychopathy and that end, there's very few individuals like that is not the most common thing that you're going to run into, but they exist, right? Relationally, though, when we talk about malignant narcissism in itself without psychopathy, that's more likely to be somebody that you have a relationship with or could have a relationship with that you're struggling with. And one of the things that I, we would highly recommend in that, we mentioned before that you can't necessarily go to them to say, this isn't working for me. You really need a lot of support. We would highly recommend that you seek a therapist and you seek support groups and that you build your own sense of self, A, to keep yourself safe, but also to really gain your own empowerment. Even if it's an aquifer, and this is an image that I have sometimes, is like go underground, be fed by streams that they don't necessarily know about. So here's an example, like hold your passion so you might learn something and don't let them stop you from learning it. That's a little aquifer where it's feeding you. It's giving you something that you deserve. So any of these, having safe people around you, gathering them, collecting them, spending time with them so that you can do reality check really holding on to your reality and not letting somebody erase it is very, very important. And that, again, as we just go back in the body and what happened happened and you can't say it didn't happen and you don't have to convince them of that, but we're just helping you hear yourself about that. In fact, that last point you made, I think is extremely important. When we get caught in trying to convince somebody else of what they're doing or what you're not doing, if you're caught in the convincing, in any of these that we're talking about, really one of the things to do is to slow down and go inside and go, wait, am I really needing to convince somebody constantly that I'm not cheating, that I'm not doing these negative things? Something's off. That's a sign to go in and slow right. it down. Don't go to them to say, because otherwise, guess what happens? You stay in the gaslighting position. What's really important is that you stay activated and feeling crazy while the other person is calm. Right. And so if you start focusing on yourself, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to begin to feel your own discomfort or your own loneliness or your own fear, frankly. As a matter of fact, highly likely that there would be fear of leaving or even fear of facing this, fear of knowing this. So those are all signs that you're moving in the right direction because now it's like that's reality. Whatever's happening in your body that's where you start from. And that's part of why it helps and why it works about getting the focus off the other person and onto you and, and feeling your needs, knowing what you know, not letting anybody take that away. And it helps you keep more regulated and secure so that then you can, like you were saying earlier, if we can calm our own bodies down, we have more capacity then to make decisions for ourselves. Because why we're activated and feeling threat, we literally lose our capacity to be relational. And so it's so important to go, wait, like I've got to calm myself down so I can engage, have these people that I know out there care for me and rely on them. So an important point here is that we are making a bright line between all the other things that we've talked about, grandiosity and everything, and malignant narcissism. On this side of the line, this is where people 
we're just going to say, don't hang in for them to change. Give up your hope. I'm sorry to say that if you're being affected by this, but it's better for you to see reality and the, the person sitting across from you is the person sitting across from you and that's how they're going to be. You can't convince them that it's not okay to hurt people. If you really notice that they laugh and find pleasure in other people's pain and actually feel fine creating revenge, that is actually a really toxic sign. Right. And so that's the psychopathy. The malignant narcissism sometimes is where, okay, so we break up, but because that I was serving them, they come back and get me and I really want it to work. So I give them quote, second chances, second chances. I mean, again, you might have to do that so that you know for sure, but that's the thing of where that actually what you've done is you've taught them that they can cross that boundary and you'll come back. So we have to mention setting boundaries and it starts with being able to focus on yourself and even know what those boundaries would be. I like saying, you know, no is a complete sentence. You don't have to explain yourself. You can just say no. That's a boundary. Yeah, it's a really good point. And depending on how difficult that relationship you're in, you may feel safe doing that. You may not. So if you don't feel safe saying that out loud, say it to yourself because you don't want to evoke some of the, the fearful responses. If we're talking about somebody that gets violent, you might not be able to say no to their face at that moment, but in your head, you can go, no, no, right. We're no. telling, this is the aquifer. We're giving you the fuel so that you can know that what you're feeling is valid and that you can, you know, exert your needs and request things. One other thing I want to say about this, in case that you're in a dangerous situation, then trust yourself. When we say go inside and if you feel fear, it could be very accurate. It's probably very accurate. So in cases like that, you really want to seek outside help. And again, remember the aquifer, there are safe houses, there are women's shelters, there's all kinds of things. You would look for your local uh, protective agency, basically, to help you with this. Again, this is a, it's a rare situation, but there will be less, some people listening that are embedded right now. And even if you can't get out, you can certainly hold on to your mind from here on. Like you can really like stop the erosion and stop the erosion of self, even if you choose to stay or can't get out. We also want you to be able to recognize this so you don't repeat it or you don't get into a relationship like this. Yeah, recognize those signs at an early way that when you can see somebody doesn't care about somebody else's feelings, but also really wants to create harm. Yeah, because let me say this. If you leave, let's say you're married, you better be prepared for a fight and gather yourself for a fight. Get legal help. That's really, really important, like to be able to defend yourself from, remember, we were talking about vindictiveness and revenge. That's a super good point, because oftentimes we can hear individuals that have been involved with somebody that, again, this can be very socialized. I know at one point we're having it feel like this is only somebody that's going to be abusive by hitting, but this can be somebody who can be abusive by attorney, can be abusive by withdrawal of children like turning children against you. So there's a way that we can be abusive in so many different ways that you might recognize. And so getting some support on that level and being able to not say, oh, I'm, I can't take this anymore, so I'm just going to give everything up. Like, right, get somebody in your corner. But you know, we're talking a lot about relationships and that's super relevant. I want to touch, if you're okay with that though, how we also... Of course I'm okay with that, Ian Kelly. <laughs> as a culture, right? Like... <laughs> If you were recognizing these things in a boss 
or a leader or et cetera, what do we do about that? Because you can't always leave your job. You can't always leave, you know, where you're living, your country. So part of it, I think it is super on all of us to be able to first recognize our own signs of living in the activated state so that we're not just playing out because we actually could become unintentionally pawns of this. Right. Or, and, and, or, or contributing to it. Well, that's kind of what I mean about pawns, actually, is that our bodies get threatened and they get activated. And so now we're actually reacting in a reactive state. And so that makes us a pawn to it. And yet we are going to then exacerbate the effect of somebody over us that is leading us through these kind of tactics. So if you recognize these tactics, part of your job is to recognize them in yourself and to not continue to activate in the same way. And the workplace example, I think is really important because like the pawn thing is that a lot of times people and the leader will gather, remember, if you're not for me, you're against me. So if you talk to a colleague, I would be very careful about that. So it would be actually better for you to begin to check yourself and to get help outside of the organization is a safer move than bringing in colleagues because you don't know there really is such a thing as where they enable the the narcissist because they want to stay in their good favor. So you have to be really careful about that and watch your back. You guys, this has all been super heavy, but we really want to give this to you for any of those of you that might need it. I know it's life-changing. We've already gotten letters from some of our previous podcasts. Right, because we all can find ourselves having some difficult personalities and being in relationship with difficult personalities. And there's a reason why we have it and kind of jumping in. Our last episode in this series is literally going to be focused on us as individuals holding our own in any dynamic, in any relationship. Just how to more deeply hold our own. That is going to be our last episode. And if you'll notice, you did not hear a single ad. We're working really hard to be ad-free. But what you could do if you want to help us out is join us at patreon.com backslash therapist uncensored. And you can join our neuro nerd community. And it's fun that you'll get to be able to discuss some of this stuff with your colleagues and a little swag sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And be able to be part of pushing this some of this content out worldwide to people who otherwise wouldn't get content when you get access to it right that's that's really important so patreons and then also if you find this valuable please share and give us a rating and review that's another really great way to support the podcast without even a penny okay well thank you Anne, for this conversation and i do look forward to the next one where we're going to wrap these things up and really be emphasizing self-care and how to do that all right thanks for joining us and we'll see you around the bin Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.